You're listening to the Journey Church Podcast. At Journey Church, our vision is to see dreams discovered and built and broken dreams rediscovered and rebuilt. Our mission is to love God, His Word, and His world. For more information on how to connect with us, please stay tuned following the message. Now, we trust that you'll be blessed by the following presentation. I'm going to let you get to know me through the message this morning. Most of you have heard me preach before, and I'll give you a little update on our ministry at the end as a part of the message. But uh, how many of you are ready for the word? Amen? Amen. So I, I, I want to share with you a word that God began to deal with me about back in December. Uh, I call it happy habits, how to act, feel, and be better. Anybody here want to be happy? Amen. It is, it is universal, isn't it, that every person on the planet wants to be happy. In fact, if you uh, somehow wandered into church this morning, maybe got on the wrong bus, or at this church, they might just drag you in. I mean, that, that, that happens here. Uh, but uh, you, you say, I don't know if I, I agree with any of this. I don't know if I believe in any of this. Uh, well, we've got some common ground this morning. You came on a good Sunday because I'm going to talk about a subject that you care about. You care about happiness. Everybody wants to be happy. How many of you would believe with me that there is a happiness crisis happening in our culture today? Uh, there really is. Everywhere I go, I see sadness. And so when God started dealing with me about writing a message, and anything I write, I end up preaching in churches around the country, and uh, God started dealing with me about writing a message about happiness. At first, I, I sort of fought him a little bit on it. I was like, is this a sacred subject? Is this really something we should spend our time on? But God began to develop this in me as a conviction, and, and that's kind of how I work. I've got to go at war with a topic if God is really going to birth it in me. And, and, and I believe this is important because, uh, listen, in our culture today, there are many people that are trying to live out their best life, be the person God has called them to be, while they're completely compromised in their emotional life. And it just doesn't work. Did you know that you were born happy? Did you know that? You, you are not built for sadness, but you are born happy, and I'll prove it to you. They've done a bunch of research on this, and they say that children laugh about 400 times a day. Now, if you ever want to be a little happier, hang out with a kid, right? Because kids, they laugh at everything, man. I still have a little bit of that in me. But they say that adults, we only laugh about 15 times a day. And by the way, sarcasm doesn't count, right? Because uh, there's no joy in sarcasm. So for probably some of it, it's not even 15 times because we're too sarcastic. And, and in other words, you're born with the capacity for joy. You're born with the capacity for happiness. Don't tell me you just have a melancholy personality or whatever. No, no, no. You unlearn happiness. God originally creates you to be happy. And then we somehow in the culture we live in, we unlearn it. The Bible says in John. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said this. He said, I have come that they might have life and life to the fullest. Amen. How many of you believe you can't have life to the fullest if you're sad, right? God wants you to be happy. The enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. But God, he wants you to be like him. We serve a God that is filled with joy. If you've heard me preach a bunch, you probably have heard me talk a little bit about hunting or fishing. I, I, I like to hunt and fish and I, every year I go to a, a lease in uh, uh, northern Illinois, and I deer hunt. And I, I, re I really don't care if I kill anything, but, but it's just uh, nice to be out there in the woods. And it's about 5,000 acres of corn surrounded by 500 acres of timber, and it's a beautiful spot. And, and I, uh, I remember about two years ago, I was going through some depression, and I was out in the woods, and I was sitting up in a, in a tree stand. And I, and I sensed the Holy Spirit speak to my spirit. 
And he said to me the weirdest thing. He said, count the V's. Count the V's, right? And, and I kept feeling this in my spirit. Count the V's, count the V's, count the V's. And so finally I didn't know what to do but just try to be obedient to what the Holy Spirit was saying. And so just in the tree that I was sitting in, you might notice there's no straight lines in nature. But just in the tree that I was sitting in, I started counting the V's in that tree. And I think I stopped at a 1,000. I mean, just around where I was sitting in, just in that one tree. And so probably in the little forest that I was in, there was probably millions of them. And, and, and when I when I sort of just got to around that thousand mark, the Holy Spirit spoke to me again and he said, son, I want you to understand that I built you and designed you for victory. Your natural state is to be victorious in me. Amen. And I watched just depression start to break off my life simply because I refused to accept it anymore. Now, now listen, I'm not naturally built for happiness. Maybe you're not naturally built for happiness. You don't feel like you are anyway. I have a little bit more of an introverted kind of personality. But I can tell you God built me for victory and he built you for victory. Amen? So this, so this morning we're going to hit this from a couple of different angles, from the spiritual angle. But I also want to talk to you from the practical side of things. Did you know that your behavior... And your emotions, they are very much connected. How you act ultimately determines how you feel. I like Proverbs 3.18. It says, wisdom is a tree of life to those who embrace her. Happy, everybody say happy, are those who hold on to her tightly. Uh, there is a connection between wisdom and happiness. It is wise to be happy. Now again, we've got to start looking at this subject a little bit differently as a church. I think many of us, we probably have never heard that before. You know, happiness, it doesn't really rise to the level of wisdom. I mean, I'd like to be happy, but I mean, it's kind of a secondary thing. In, in fact, when I, was, uh, when I got saved, when I came to, came to Christ, I remember one of the pastors that, that I regularly listened to, he said this, he said, he said, God cares more about your holiness then he cares about your happiness. And then he did this big point. You probably have heard something like that before. And, and I can remember even as a young believer sitting there, and I really liked the guy, but I was kind of struggling with that. I was like, All right, well, holiness, let's define it, is being more like Jesus. Amen? I mean, you think holiness is being more like Jesus, right? Holiness isn't a bunch of rules. It's being more like Christ. And if I am more like Jesus, I believe that's going to fill me with more joy. So I don't buy into this whole thing that somehow I've got to either choose my spiritual life or my emotional life. No, no, these two things are very much connected. And I think really where we have arrived at as a church is that we fail to get the importance of happiness because it has been so overvalued by the world, but it's been so undervalued by the church. And, and this is really a subject that we haven't taught on very much. But how foolish are we when everybody you know wants to be happy? And we serve a God who can make people happy. Amen? He can fill us up with joy. Joy unspeakable and full of glory, the Bible says. So in other words, probably the greatest tool we have as a church is to lead people to the one who can fulfill the desire they already have to be happy. So this morning, I believe that a big part of the success of Journey Church, and how many of you know God is up to big things here, amen? 
A big part of the success of this church is a long time ago, we launched a war on unhappiness. There, there's times when I walk into this place and it seems like just the gloominess and the depression that's on my life, it just breaks off from walking in, amen? I mean, believe if God can do that for me, he can do that for anybody, right? I believe that even in this county, maybe part of the issue is sadness. You know, there is an epidemic of sadness around us. I, I, was, I was joking with Pastor Jesse. I went into your Walmart not long ago. If you ever really want to know what's going on in a town, go to Walmart. I tell you, I was a little frightened in Walmart. I, I really was. There are some rough people in this area, man. You know, and Jesus loves them. I love them, you know. But, but, but I, I can tell you there's, a, there's an epidemic of, of drugs and sinful behavior and really just people living below who they are. And, and sadness is a part of that epidemic. When I, when I first came to Christ, the first thing I noticed was joy. The Bible talks about the joy of your salvation. Amen? And, and, and do you know that joy is a healer? You know, it healed my broken mind. It healed my wounded soul. I needed to experience joy. I really don't think I could have known the Father like he wanted me to know him if I wasn't filled up with his joy. How many of you believe when you go to heaven that you'll be happy? Amen? Well, the Bible talks about what, what happens in heaven. We can agree with heaven that it can happen here on earth. I believe that just like we're going to be happy in heaven, we can have God's presence here on earth so we can be happy here on earth. And so today, again, we unapologetically, if you will, launch a war on unhappiness. And, and here's a big reason why. My conviction is that unhappiness is dangerous. Hmm. Now, 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 it's funny because I've never heard anybody else say that before. Most of the time, you know, sin is dangerous, whatever. But it is so funny because unhappiness or sadness increases the temptation level in our lives. I think sometimes we're dealing with the fruit instead of actually getting to the root of the issue. Now, you know, it is naive to believe. Now, hear this. Hear this. Spiritual unhappy people, because I meet them all the time. It is naive to believe that you can have an unhealthy emotional life and that it will not eventually sabotage the health of your spiritual life. Being compromised emotionally makes it much more likely that you will be compromised spiritually. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our what? Why does the enemy want our joy? Because he wants our strength. God wants you strong. The enemy wants you weak. A big part of why you can become strong in the faith is because we serve a God that can fill us with joy. I, I actually experienced something as a pastor that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy. I, I, I did a funeral for somebody that committed a suicide. Uh, he was a guy that went to my church and he showed up every Sunday morning. Uh, he was there every Sunday night. He was there on Wednesday nights. He was super faithful, always complimenting me on the message afterwards and I think it was a Thursday morning that he went and he sat down next to a lake. He'd written a little note to his wife, and he stuck a gun up to his head, and he pulled the trigger. Standing in his funeral, I was so broken and so overwhelmed because we had somebody that believed in the health of his spiritual life, but he was so fractured in his emotional life, and he would never let anybody else in to help. Now, now again, I know that there's clinical depression in the room this morning, I know some of you, maybe you're on certain drugs to help you with that. And can I just unequivocally say, and I think I can speak for our pastor in this arena, we believe in all of that, amen? You might need counseling, you might need medical help. I cannot deal with clinical depression in a 40-minute sermon, by the way. 
but I also believe that there's a huge spiritual side to the issue, amen? I put something on Facebook a couple weeks ago about happiness, and somebody put a little, little thing in my comments. They said, it's not that easy. Now, nobody is saying that it's easy, but we are saying that we have a God that can fill us with joy, amen? Nobody is saying that it is not the only answer, but it should be a huge part of the answer. Now, it's kind of funny, but according to the experts, about 40% of us are genetically built for happiness. They say about 40% of the population that you are just naturally happy. Now, I am not one of those people. I don't wake up happy. I'm more melancholy. I'm more of a processor. But I am married to a beautiful woman. Everybody clap for my beautiful wife right here in the front row. And she is the happiest person on earth. She wakes up happy. It's probably because she's married to me, but it might be a part of her personality. <laughs> There's a lot of mornings when I'm like, honey, just take it down a couple notches. God's not even awake yet. Why don't we just have some coffee and talk about whether or not we want to be happy? I mean, that's just, you know, and <laughs> the 60% of us that are not naturally built for happiness, we say in the love of the Lord that we hate you. <laughs> and we want to make you sad just a little bit. <laughs> now, experts tell us about 40% of our happiness is genetics, but about 10% is circumstantial. So, again, according to the quote experts, about 40% genetic, about 10% circumstantial. So, so, according to my math, that leaves us about 50% to work with. How many of you will take those odds? Amen. There's about 50% of our happiness that I can absolutely do something about. We could really say 60% because we can do something about our circumstances as well. Maybe you can't change genetics, but you can change some other things. Now, go with me on this. It is my conviction that the 60% of happiness or 50 to 60% of happiness that we can do something about is found in the realm of our habits. Now, get this. A healthy spiritual life will eventually produce a healthy emotional life. Now, now, now I, want you to, I want you to look at me. You are not the unhappy exception. You can be happy. In fact, say it with me. I can be happy. One, two, three. I can be happy. I serve a God who can fill me with joy. Amen. If I can be happy with my personality, I promise you that you can be happy. In fact, here's what I'm believing for today. Now, now listen, I, I take this seriously. I only get 52 Sundays in a year, and this year I'm giving four of them to your church. I, I believe that when I come in these services, there's a different anointing on my ministry. Pastors are moving the ball ahead. I believe that as an evangelist, there are times where there's an anointing that literally can break the yoke and change generations. Amen? Now, I think that can happen in any services, but we believe that in every single one of our services. Now, now listen, I, I think there, in this room there is generational sadness represented. In other words, maybe you were raised in a family where you can never remember anybody being happy. I, I, you know, you know I, I remember a lot of joy growing up, but my dad suffered from clinical depression. I can remember him going to a counselor and getting, getting medicine and all kinds of things. Uh, my great-grandfather hung himself in a garage. Uh, my grandfather and my grandmother, I do not remember a lot of happiness flowing out of them. But here's what happened. I came to the one who can make me happy, amen? And, 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 and I have seen in my family, literally generational sadness has been broken because of my salvation. And it can happen with you, amen? 
Huh. So if 10% or 50%, if you will, is in the realm of our habits, what does that look like? See, see, most of us believe that happiness can be caught, but it cannot be taught. And nothing could really be further, further from the truth. You're either blessed with happiness or you're not. But, but your key truth this morning, and it, and it really rings loud, is that happiness depends on your habits. Good habits produce good emotions, and bad habits produce bad emotions. Now, we know this to be true, don't we? I mean, it's a super spiritual point, but let's face it, it's pretty, it's pretty simple. Go ahead and put those lists up there if you would. Uh, um, now, now, listen, this is just so easy, but I want you to get it. Humility versus arrogance, right? I mean, you know, people that tend to be humble are more happy, amen? People that are diligent versus procrastinators. Diligent people tend to be more happy. People that are positive versus negative. People that are forgivers rather than being bitter. People that are other-centered rather than self-centered. I'll talk about that in a minute. People that are kind versus mean. We could keep going. People that have a prayer life versus people that are prayerless. People that are stewards versus wasteful, generous, selfish, uh, confident versus insecure. People that are trusting God instead of worrying all the time. People that are relational instead of being recluse. Uh, let me do one more. I mean, you know, if you're a person of gratitude versus a complainer, you're probably going to experience more happiness in your life, right? Now, this is such a basic point, and yet it's so true. Happiness is not some elusive creature that nobody can have. No, no, no. Your behavior and your emotions are connected. How you act determines how you feel. Now, a basic point, but it's kind of a big point, because if you're like me, you're probably a little bit enlightened and a little bit discouraged at the same time. You're enlightened because the veil has been taken off and you realize that, you know what, this is not some elusive creature I can't have, but I can be happy. But you're a little bit discouraged because if you're like me, you're probably failing in a lot of these areas. <laughs> I, I, you know, I try to be generous all the time, but is anybody else out there that would say every now and then I'm selfish, amen? I try to be other-centered, but a lot of times it's all about me. I try to have gratitude, but a lot of times I complain. In other words, I fail in every one of these areas. So I'm not going to throw out all those subjects and not encourage you in some way. I hear a lot of sermons that leave me more paralyzed than motivated because I just don't know how I'm going to ever be successful. So I want to introduce you to something right here in my introduction called the power of an inch. Now, in running, there is something called the four-minute mile. Everybody know what I'm talking about? It's an amazing feat. If you can run a four-minute mile, very few people have really done it, but if you can run a four-minute mile, you are an amazing runner. So, so let, me, let me just throw out a challenge. Let's say right after church today, we meet out on the parking lot, and me and Jesse will lead the crew, right, because we're super athletes, and we will lead the crew, and we are all together this afternoon in the name of Jesus. We're going to run a four-minute mile. Anybody with me? <laughs> How many of you would say, Pastor Doug, I would be intimidated if we were going to run a mile, but we had all day to do it, let alone four minutes. Anybody else out there? Right? You know what I'm saying? Just, just walking a mile, man, that would be bad, right? That's why God invented cars, right? You know, whatever. So, 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 so let's just change it up just a little bit. Let's say instead of challenging you to run a four-minute mile, instead I'm going to ask you to run one inch, but at a four-minute mile pace. Anybody with me on that? 
Because I bet everybody in this room could do that. You could probably be in a wheelchair and do it. You know, just, whoop, that's it, I'm done, man. It's, it's, it's incredible, right? Now, now let, let, follow my logic for just a minute. A mile contains 63,360 inches. And inches are not nearly as intimidating as miles. If I ask you to run an inch, it removes the temptation to be intimidated because you know it's really not that hard. Here's what I want to say to you this morning by faith. A mile is really just a bunch of inches that got together and are trying to look scary. Amen. (laughs) You can be happy. And, And listen, by the way, an inch of faith honors God just as much as a mile of faith. You might look at a list like the one I showed you earlier. Say, Pastor Doug, I'm so far away from that. Well, nobody ever said that you had to have a mile of faith, but God did tell us we had to have some faith. Let me prove it to you. I love this verse, Matthew 17, 30. Jesus said, truly I tell you, if you have the faith of that of a mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, be thou cast into the sea or move, and it would move, and nothing would be impossible to you. What is God saying? He's saying it's not about the amount of faith you have. It's about whether or not faith exists in your life. An inch seems doable, but a mile seems daunting. An inch is encouraging, but a mile is discouraging. An inch, I love this, it has 63,360 celebration opportunities for every one a mile creates. Amen? An inch accomplishes more now. A mile accomplishes more later. Uh, an inch depends about for God to do more. A mile depends for you to do more. And listen, God has a way of turning inches into a mile. How, can, how many of you can believe? for progress this morning. Amen? (laughs) Can you believe just a little bit that God can cause a change, a revolution in your emotional life? You know know what I love about this concept of faith is God has created us in such a way that just planning to be better encourages us and fills us with hope right away. (laughs) It's funny because Yesterday, Pastor Jesse and Missy, who love us very much, they took us out and they loved on us at a place called Mission Taco. If you have not been, it will change your life. Probably not for the better, but it will change your life. And so we went and we ate, and, and, and it was so good. We, 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 we probably were sinful. We ate too much. And, and, and then, I, then we went back to the hotel, and my wife and I, we looked at each other, and we said, tomorrow it begins. How many of you have ever done that before? Tomorrow, it's going to be amazing. We're going to be juicing and fasting and salad from this point out. We're going to lose 30 pounds in a month. It's just going to be amazing, right? And it was funny, even though I I kind of know that I'm not sure we're serious or not, I already was filled with hope, right? Because just planning to be better causes a change in your emotional reaction, doesn't it? Now, what am I talking about? What I'm talking about today is that happiness has to be centered in hope. There's a lot of hopelessness in the world today. And one of the reasons why we can be happy as Christians is because we can create a habit of hopefulness knowing that the Bible says, even if I'm unfaithful, my God is faithful. Amen? Even if I can only muster an inch today, my God has a way of taking it miles. God is a God of hope. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope, aren't you glad that God is the God of hope? Amen? May he fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you might overflow with hope. That sounds like happiness to me, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what's funny is the world can do hope. (laughs) 
but the world's hope is a little bit like jumping out of a plane without a parachute. I mean, it's a, the Bible even says sin is fun for a season. But there's always that thud at the end, isn't it? It'll get you every time. The world's hope is what I would call a dying hope. The Bible says in 1 Peter that the hope that we have in Christ, that is the living hope. Aren't you glad that your hope doesn't have to be attached to dying things? Let, let, let me just describe the world's hope for just a minute with a story. Probably one of the most hopeful things that we experience in our culture, if you're a sports fan like I am, is the Super Bowl. This year, as a, I live in Kansas City, so as a Chiefs fan, we were super hopeful until we weren't anymore. <laughs> it's funny, the Super Bowl is like a, a hopeful event for a couple of cities every single year. And I can remember back in the day, I've loved football ever since I was a kid, and I remember back in the day I was youth pastoring at a church. I was probably about 29 years old, and I was at a church in the north part of Kansas City, and that church was so committed to doing church that, that unlike you guys have had a lot of snow Sundays lately, this pastor just prided himself on, no matter what, I don't care if people die, we're going to have church, right? And so every single Sunday, no matter what, didn't matter what it snowed, we were going to have church. And it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you name it. And I was a youth pastor there, and I love Jesus, and I love going to church, but we got to Super Bowl Sunday, and you can call me unspiritual if you want, but I just think that even Jesus would not go to church on Super Bowl Sunday night. Anyway, you go Sunday morning, you get to Jesus, and then you do your football at night. That's, that's, how, that's how it should, should work, in my opinion. And, and, and so, anyway, the pastor, he was not going to cancel. And on that particular Super Bowl Sunday, it started snowing during church on Sunday morning. And I'm in the back, and I am trying to whisper it, but I'm like, snow, baby, snow. Amen. Jesus, I love you, but help me not to come to church tonight to worship you. I just want to, you know, I want to watch the Super Bowl. And finally, by about that, about, about 3 o'clock that afternoon, there was a foot of snow on the ground, and we got the call, and, and they, finally, they relented, and they canceled church. And I remember saying to my son, I said, man, I am going to show you. He was just a little guy at the time. I said, I'm going to show you how to do the Super Bowl. Now, it's funny because we can't go to church, but I did make it to the grocery store to get all my food, and then I came back. <laughs> Kind of tells something, doesn't it? And, and we cooked all the food, wings and pizza and you name it. I mean, I mean, and we had we had this uh, sofa in our living room that had a had a fold in bed. We folded out the bed and we put all the food around the bed. And then we made the girls service because that's what God had called them to do. And 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 and, uh, and it was just an awesome, incredible. And, and and so we're you know we watched the pregame show and we got all the way to kick off. And you're gonna think I'm lying, but if I'm lying, I'm dying. This really happened because our God. Has has a sense of humor. I am telling you, right at kickoff, right at kickoff, right at the height of the game, all of a sudden I hear this pop out back of our house, and I found out later that a squirrel that God sacrificed so that he could laugh, I believe, and that squirrel's in heaven, by the way, it ran into the transformer behind our house. There's a big pop, and right at kickoff, we have no power. <laughs> The people across the street have power. People behind me got power. People on that side, they got power. I got no power. And I'm like, don't tell me that God does not have a sense of humor. You could not even hear the hum of the refrigerator. I mean, it was bad. That's what the world's hope is like, isn't it? It's a, it's a big high, but ultimately the lights are going to go out, right? You know, you know what I love about, about our God? You know, you, know, you know, sadness and depression, it can seem like, you know, when, when I go through it, it's almost like somebody just flips the light switch. 
And all of a sudden, I'm in darkness. I used to be in light, and now I'm in darkness. What I love is what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 12. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never, everybody say never. You'll never walk in darkness. Now, I, know, I know that word there is darkness, but you could easily put the word sadness there. They will never walk in darkness. Why? Because I have the light of life. I, I, I love 1 John 1, 5. It says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And maybe you've had a rough life. Maybe you've lost somebody recently. Maybe it's like somebody turned out the light. But can I tell you that in our God, there is no darkness at all. Amen. God loves you. God wants you to be happy. God wants you to have a living hope, not a dying hope. Now, as I transition just a little bit, I want to give you a couple of things to take home with you. Again, after all, this is titled the Happy Habits. Habits drive our happiness. And so I want to share with you just very quickly uh, two of what I call, just two, of what I call super habits of happiness. And these are habits that have superpowers. These are habits that have a habit, if you will, of turning inches into miles. Psychologists actually talk about something called keystone habits. And they are habits that are more powerful than the other habits. I have a keystone habit in my life. I don't like getting up early in the morning, but I get up early in the morning. And the reason why is because when I get up early, I end up hungry early in the day, and it helps me from a diet standpoint. When I get up early, I have time alone with God, which helps me from a spiritual standpoint. When I get up early, I want to go to bed earlier with my wife, which helps me from a relational standpoint. You get, I could keep going. You understand what I mean? I get one habit right, and that habit literally is like a super habit that causes all the other habits to get right. So in the area of happiness, I want to share with you, if you will, two what I call super habits. And if you do these two things, I'm telling you, God will take your emotional life, and he will take your inches and turn into miles. And the first one is this. The first one is first super habit is that happy people refuse to seek happiness. Have you ever noticed that happiness becomes more elusive the more you seek after it? The faster you run after it, the more it runs away from you. The reason why is because happiness, God never intended for that to be a goal. Now go with me this, uh, on this for a minute. Psychologists talk about something called causality. There are, there, there are causes and there are effects. God never, never, never intended for happiness to be a cause. God intended for happiness to be an effect. Now, this is so simple, but it is so biblical, and this is where we get tripped up. Happiness cannot be found directly. Happiness can only be found indirectly. Happiness is always a byproduct of seeking something else other than happiness. Happiness was never intended by God to be the product of your life. Happiness was intended to be the byproduct. Now, you take something as simple as an orange. There's actually major farms. We used to live in Florida. There's major farms that produce Florida oranges, right? And uh, you may not know this, but the, the juice and the fruit of that orange is not the most valuable part of the orange. It's actually the rind or the skin because there's oils in that, right? And it's way more valuable. In other words, they produce the orange not so much for the product, but for the byproduct. Now, we see this same concept in our spiritual lives. Did you know that the Bible talks about blessedness? But it never says, blessed are those who seek after blessedness, right? 
Why? It's always a byproduct. Blessed are those who seek the Lord. Blessed are those who are generous to others. Blessed are those who uh, obey his word, you know, or whatever. It's always a byproduct of something else. Now, here's your key truth. If you want the product of joy, you don't seek joy. You seek the producer of joy. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added unto you. Now, it's amazing that we don't get this because our God is a relational God. Uh, my kids, when they seek after me, they get everything I have to offer. <laughs> but if my kids, they seek after my wallet, right? Now, you know, they don't get much of anything, right? But if they seek the producer, then they will get the product. God works the same way. Now, now listen, here's just a basic fact that you need to know. Happiness does not happen by outward issues or outward circumstances. Not really, not lasting joy. Happiness happens on the inside. Happiness is a spiritual issue. You cannot solve your inward problems by solely dealing with outward things. Wow. Hmm. Psalms chapter 16, verse 11, says, God, God said this. He said, in my presence... There is fullness of joy. <laughs> you know what I do every morning? Every single morning, because again, I'm not among the 40% that are genetically built for happiness. I don't, I don't wake up happy. I, I honestly don't. Most of the days I wake up and I have a little depression waiting for me at the edge of the bed. So every single day I wake up and I don't try to go after joy. I try to go after the one who can produce joy. So every morning I create what I call a spiritual microclimate. It starts out in the winter as a literal microclimate. I have a little chair that's over uh, by my fireplace, and I, 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 I like to sit there to do my devotions. And I, I sit down, and I usually turn on a heater right by me, and I create a literal microclimate because we keep the house cold at night. And then I open up my Bible, and I open up my phone, and I, I turn on some worship music, and I literally try to get in the presence of the one who can produce joy. Amen? And by the way, a lot of us have a lot of goals for our devotional lives. I, I, I will probably listen through the Bible this year a couple of times. I, I, I'm more of an auditory learner. I might read through the, the entire Bible in the course of two or three years. Uh, but, but I can tell you none of those things are the goal of my devotional life. You know what the goal of my devotional life is? Every day I want to be in his presence. Amen? Every day I want to know and experience his presence. Because why? Because I'm not naturally happy. So therefore, I've got to be with the one who can make me happy. Amen? Here's what I encourage you to do. Tomorrow morning, you put on some worship music. You get some coffee. Pour a cup of coffee for you. You pour a cup of coffee for Jesus. And you start spending some time with him. Now, now if Jesus comes and drinks his coffee, you call me and Pastor Jesse right away because you're having the best prayer time ever. And we, we, we want to come. <laughs> Romans 14, 17, the Apostle Paul wrote this. He said, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of life, goodness, and peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Paul takes and he connects the practical and the spiritual. He says, if you live a life of goodness and peace, you're going to experience joy in the Holy Spirit. Super habit number two. Happy people, and we're almost done, they order their lives properly. Now, I am a man, and therefore I am very adverse at reading instructions. All the men said, amen. Uh, when, it, when my kid has a bike I need to put together, or a lawnmower I need to put together, whatever, uh, I rarely read, read the instructions. And so therefore, 
I have often created what I call order problems. I'll put on the wheels when I should have been working on the frame, or I'll put on this before that. And how you know in, in the world we live in, the plastic parts and whatever, a lot of times you get the order wrong, you'll, you'll, you'll mess up the whole product. If you, have a bad, um, if you have bad emotions internally, you probably have an order problem in your life externally. It's been many times in my life when I've tried to be happy by making myself happy, and really what I'm doing is I'm saying, I'm first. In fact, if you were listening to a secular talk on happiness this morning, they would probably tell you that you're no good to other people unless you take care of you first. So what you need to do is you need to put you first so that you can serve others. Well, that is opposite of what the Bible teaches. In fact, did you know the Bible says that if you refresh others, that God will refresh you? In other words, what you do for other people, God naturally has a way of doing it for you. See, happiness cannot, no matter how many times we try to do it, happiness cannot be found by putting self first. When you put self first, it's a little bit like a roller coaster ride. It might cause a little bit of joy, but it's always going to pick you up and drop you off right back where you started. So let me share what I call the secret formula of happiness. <laughs> this one is one of those things that's so obvious that if you're a student of the Bible, you can't believe you missed it. This is a formula that should be a habitual goal uh, for anybody who wants happiness in their life. This is one of those super habits that if you get it right, it will literally become the, the leader of all the other habits. It will take your inches and turn them into miles. And here it is. It's so simple. I almost don't even want to read it. I want to do more buildup because it's too simple. But it's powerful. Secret formula of happiness. God first. Everybody say it with me. God first. Other second. Self last. Let's do it again. God first. Other second. Self last. Now let me prove that this is a super habit. Luke chapter 10 verse 27. In fact, Jesus said this in all four gospels, I believe. This is a verse that you've heard before where Jesus said, essentially, if you do this right, you'll end up obeying all the law of God. Jesus essentially said this verse sums up the entire Bible. Get this right, and all these other things will get right. This is the, this is the, this is the most powerful super habit of all the super habits right here. He, Jesus said this. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you must love your neighbor as what? Yourself. Do you see the order? God, neighbor, self. Everybody say it with me. God, neighbor, self. It's right there. If it's a snake, it would have bit you, right? In other words, what you do for other people, God will end up doing for you. Do you know that the love of God was never meant to be something that you held and kept for your own? The love of God is not a lake. It's not a pond. It's certainly not a swamp. No, no, no. The love of God is a river. Amen. You ever heard that? The Bible talks about that. The river of God, the love of God, the, the grace of God flowing like a river into our life. What does a river do? A river touches you, but then it does what? Keeps going, right? If you dam it up, well, then it becomes a lake. <laughs> no, no, no. You can't take the love of God and turn it into a lake. The love of God is not a swampy love. The love of God is a river love. Now, if you want to experience the love of God, which is filled with joy, by the way, then you've got to be a river person, not a swamp person. I told you I would give you a little report on my ministry here at the end. And, and I, 
I, I, I genuinely say this from my heart. I love your church. I love what God is doing here. I love the staff. I love the pastor. Uh, I, I, one of my dearest friends is Pastor Jake, your, your, your uh, youth, and I don't know, your everything pastor, I think. He, the guy does everything. Uh, Jake actually works for me a little bit, too. He's led trips for my organization. I own a, I own a nonprofit called Partnership International. We've had it for 17 years. I think we just crossed the 6,000 people mark. 6,000 people have been on mission trips with us. Uh, I, think, I think we've done 300 or so. I mean, I, I don't even know anymore. We have 17 this year. I'm going to be this year, I'm going to be in, in, in Burundi with you guys. I'm going to be in Cuba. I'm going to be in, in uh, Belize, in, in Jamaica, uh, poor zip code in the country, in the Bronx. We're working, uh, I have a team of 37 going with me next week to Arizona, to the Apache Nation, poor Indian reservation where we're going to bless the Apache people, and a bunch of other things. And wh what, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that back when I was in my early 30s, and I know, I know I'm extremely good looking, so it's hard to tell, but I, I'm 51. And back when I was in my early 30s, uh, God spoke to me and he said, I put a gift in your life of speaking and writing and I'm going to open up doors for you. But I gave you influence, not as a gift for you, but it is, it is like a resource that you're supposed to steward. In other words, influence is not a pond, it's a river. Amen? It shouldn't just flow into your life and make your world bigger. It should flow out of your life and make other people's world bigger. Amen? And, and I truly believe if you want God to exalt your voice, then speak for those who have no voice. If you want to have more influence, then you use your influence for people that have no influence, right? So we feel called to the poor. That's, that's what we do. We, we take our, I'll spend 80 days of my schedule. I literally spend over a fourth of my Sundays that I could be speaking in other places and go and speak for people that could never pay me back. But I also believe that's why I'm so busy. That's why God has blessed me so much. And, and, and it's funny, every time I do one of these trips, I always hear the subject of happiness comes up. It always comes up. And it comes up in two ways. The first way it comes up is that people are all of a sudden living out their purpose, and so they get happy. It's the craziest thing. The accommodations, they're sleeping, they're sweating. I mean, the food isn't what they're used to. We're working them like dogs all day long. They paid to come. <laughs> And by the end of the week, it's like it messes up their mind, and they're like, oh, man, where has this been all my life? And anymore, they don't, they don't even want to go on vacation anymore. They just want to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep coming back. And you know what I always say? I always say two things. One is that this is who you really are. That selfish person back home, that's the imposter. This is who you really are. And two, I start talking to them about purpose because everybody really wants three things. Everybody wants money, freedom, and purpose. I know a lot of people that have money, and they have no freedom, Right? Because they, they got like, a, like, like corporate handcuffs on them, man. They can't do anything, but they got money. I know people that have freedom have no money. They're like a starving artist, but they have no money. And then I know people that they've become so successful that they have money and they have freedom, but they don't have any purpose. I'm telling you, you ever get these three things working together? Mm. I believe God wants to bless you. I am not against money because money is like a river resource that we can use to touch other people. Amen. I want all the money God ever wants to have in my life to come into my life because I know I can be trusted with it and I will bless other people with it. Amen? I, I have more stuff than I've ever had before and I don't care about any of it anymore. I just want to bless other people. I want to use what God has given me to bless other people. 
Listen, why do you, why do you aren't blessed like that just because you can't be trusted? God knows if he blessed you, you just buy a bigger car. I just say stuff, man, because I'm just leaving this afternoon. I don't, I don't, I'm just up here preaching, Jesse, and I just say stuff and just whatever. You clean it up, man. You're, you're, the, you're, the, one that, you're the one that lives here. <laughs> what if you had money, freedom, purpose, these things working together, amen? What you, what you do for others, God will do for you. And the other thing I hear on these trips a lot is I hear, well, Pastor Doug, you know, they don't have anything like we do but they're so much happier than we are. Have you ever heard that when you've been in a poor environment? They're so much happier. I'm thinking of two environments right now. One that I'll be in with you guys in October. I'm going on your trip in October just as a setup for my organization. We're actually in partnership with you for a city called uh, the Cabezi. It's a little village called the Cabezi Village, about 6,000 families. They live outside of uh, Bujumbura in Burundi, East Africa, one of the toughest places to get to. Uh, if you've heard of Rwanda, Burundi is like the stepchild. I mean, it's, it's, it's a tough spot. Third world conditions. I mean, I'm talking like caveman conditions. And, and yet, they're so much happier, it seems like, than we are. Thinking of another spot that I'm taking a group, and I actually, we actually need five more people uh, to fill this team. Get this. We, ha we have $18,000 because of the generosity of your church and another church. And we're going to a little village called Mayamopan outside of Belmopan, Belize, which is their capital. And we are going to bless the crud out of that village. And then we're going to also help build a discipleship school that rescues kids off the streets. And it's just an amazing thing. And, and we need five more, five, six more people to go. So, so meet me in the back and let's, let's take that money and that freedom and use it for some purpose. Amen. And, but I always hear this. I always hear, well, Pastor Doug, they're so much happier than we are. And then what I'll hear is the theory is, is well, because they don't have the burden of stuff. They don't have all the responsibility. And, and I actually think that's a crock. I don't, I don't, I don't believe that. Here, here's what I believe. I believe they are so much happier than we are because they are so much more humble than we are. When, uh, I'll have the opportunity, again, about 80 days of my schedule to be in poor environments this year. And when I come back to the States, the very first thing that always slaps me in the face when I come into this country that I love is how stinking prideful we are. We've all got this, I deserve it, right? And you got more than me, and we've got the, our borders up and whatever. And, 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 and then when I'm in these poor environments, they've never had a chance to learn that horrible behavior. And, and listen, you want to be happy? Humble yourself. Amen? Humble yourself. How do you humble yourself? It's not just an attitude of mind. It's, it's serve others. Serve God. Kneel before a holy God and say, I don't have it all figured out. And I keep screwing myself up trying to figure it out. Amen? Anybody been trying to be happy and failed? Because <laughs> it doesn't work that way. No, no. Secret for my happiness. God, others, self. River. River love. Amen? I want to be a river, not a swamp. How about you? Why don't you stand to your feet all throughout the house? Let's go ahead and stand up. Let's give our God a hand clap. Isn't he a good God? Wow. <laughs> I don't have much voice left, but I just did a preacher trick. I had you stand up, and I'm not quite done. Because <laughs> then once you stand up, he's like, yeah, stand up. You know, he's done, but I'm not quite done. I'm almost done. Let me just throw one out. Let me throw one more out. Let me throw one more out. All right? <laughs> Did you know that people who know that they are forgiven, that they are happy people? Amen? How many of you know you're forgiven? Amen? 
I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven, right? He's forgiven me. This Christmas, I got up a couple hours before my family and just spent some time with God. I was up about 6 a.m. cooking for the family and just thanking God for a couple hours about the fact that I'm forgiven. You know why I'm forgiven? Because God has a happy habit. I love this verse. It's in the Message Bible, so he abuses the text a little bit, but I love it. He said, if you, God, kept records of wrongdoing, who would stand a chance? Not me, amen? But as it turns out, I love this, forgiveness is your what? It's your habit. God has a happy habit of forgiving us, amen? So you might say, well, Pastor Doug, I feel like I've got miles to go. Well, don't worry about the miles. Just worry about one inch right now. Just one inch. Just one. Here's the inch. Get forgiven. Amen? Get to the foot of the cross. Take one step, one little step. I mean, even an inch towards God. And I promise you, he will run towards you. Amen? And you'll be forgiven. So let's, 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 pray, let's pray a prayer. Let's pray it out loud. How many, how many of you would just say, I, I, I need some forgiveness up in my life right now. Come on, raise your hand if that's you. I, I need some forgiveness. I, I, maybe that's the first time, first time in a long time, whatever it is. I need to be forgiven. Come on, let's, let's, let's pray this prayer. Let's pray it out loud. Dear Jesus, I believe you died on the cross. You rose from the dead so I could be free. Forgive me. Fill me with your peace. Fill me with your joy. <laughs> Cause me to be free in you. In Jesus' mighty name. Now, come on, lift your hands. I want to pray a blessing over you as pastor comes. Father, I pray right now that you would just cause a spirit of encouragement to come upon your people. The blackness of depression go right now in Jesus' name. The anointing breaks the yoke. Depression broken in Jesus' name. Now, God, make us wise. Let us back up this spiritual freedom, in some cases, newfound spiritual freedom. With our habits, God, teach us to be happy people with happy habits so we can serve you the way we're built to. In Jesus' name. Amen. Journey Church, would you let this man know how thankful... We are for the gift that he is in this house. Amen. Amen. My goodness. Um, this is one of those talks that I just encourage you later on this afternoon, just carve out, what was that, a micro environment uh, at your home and just, you know, put some earbuds on, just close yourself off from the noise of the world. Just spend some time with Jesus, just getting yourself out of the way. I'm telling you, that was powerful. It was one of those listen to it again messages. It'll be on the podcast tomorrow. You can jump on the Facebook feed and, you know, share it with somebody else. I'm telling you, this is a good gospel truth. Amen. And for those of you that are, you know, maybe may living life at this struggle at a deeper level than, than others with, with depression or anxiety, and it's hard to arrive, you know, maybe harder than it is for others to arrive at that, don't, don't take this journey alone. Let us share that journey with you. I, I love what we do on Thursday nights at 6.30 with our Journey to Rescue group. I'm telling you, it's a fantastic thing that's happening with that group, seeing breakthrough on great deep levels. And so people that have, have carried those struggles with PTSD or anxiety or depression, and, and I'm telling you, at levels that may be deeper than what others experience, join us in that journey. Let us stand with you in that journey and see this qualify for you too. 
I'm telling you, it's amazing what God can do when we do life together as a unit. Thanks, Jake. Thank you for listening to the Journey Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or to connect with us in any way, please contact us by emailing us at info at journeychurchmo.com. You can also find more information on service times, events, and more on our website, www.journeychurchmo.com.